you're new with us, uh, glad that you're here. My name is Ryan Ross. I serve here as one of the pastors, and uh, once again, it's just a, a real joy that you've chosen to be with us uh, today. If you've got your Bible, you can make your way to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Uh, back there on that table, we've got some hardback black ones. Uh, you can grab that, and if you don't have, own a Bible, you can keep that. That's our gift to you uh, as a church. But, but over these past few weeks, we have been looking at the beginning of the, the Gospel of Luke, these opening chapters in the Gospel of Luke, celebrating Advent, the, the coming of Jesus into our world, to, celebrating the incarnation, God the Son taking on our humanity to come rescue us and save us. And, and everything in Luke has really been building up to this moment. We've had angels announce this birth, and Mary and, Zeca, and Zechariah prophesy and sing uh, about this birth. And now here on this last Sunday before Christmas, we will celebrate the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus into our world from Luke chapter 2. And uh, even though we won't be reading it from the King James Version, uh, just like Linus telling Charlie Brown, uh, we will see what Christmas is all about. And so let's look at it together. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read the first 20 verses. Starting in verse 1, the very word of God to us today. It speaks to us like this. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so one of the uh, major things I think we see here in Luke chapter 2 on display is the humility of Jesus. And so here's how we'll walk through this text this morning. In this text, we see a, a humble birth, humble glory, 
and humble recipients. And so let, let's think first about this humble birth. Luke tells us that uh, during the time of Mary's pregnancy, Caesar Augustus decrees that all the world should be registered so that uh, they have to pay taxes, so that he can get more taxes for himself. And so uh, remember, the Roman Empire is kind of ruling over the known world at this time, including the Jewish people. And so uh, Mary and Joseph are included in this census needing to be registered. Uh, and, and something that, that feels kind of like a side note, but really isn't a side note, something I think we see in these first few verses is that the coming of Jesus into our world uh, is not just a good story. Uh, it's not like you have like the, the Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and the birth stories of Jesus as kind of the stable of fictional stories that you can share with your kids. Uh, no, like this, this really happened in, in a real time, in an actual place. Like these events are datable. You can put a date on them. It, it happened during the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. It's historical. It really took place. And, and so we have to do business with the claims of Jesus because this isn't a fairy tale or a fictional story. Like these things actually happen. And, and something else to point out here. Uh, in contrast to the humility of Jesus that we see in this text, Caesar Augustus was a man who thought he was God, wanted to be God. Right here, he's pridefully trying to get more power and wealth for himself by declaring that everybody has to be taxed and registered. But, but for all of his efforts to make something of himself, like he died and now no one worships him. And he is nothing more than a footnote in history to Jesus, this little baby boy who's being born in a no-name town in the backwoods of his empire who has now worshipped the world over. And on top of that, God is actually going to use this pagan ruler's evil desire to get more power and control and wealth for himself to accomplish his good purposes and plans. Uh, because Mary is, as the King James Version puts it uh, in verse 5, she is great with child. Uh, like, she is real pregnant. And, and Bethlehem is about 70 to 80 miles from where they would be coming from in Galilee. And, and so there's no way that Mary, uh, of her own volition, just because she decides to, is going to either walk 70 to 80 miles or ride on an animal for 70 to 80 miles when she is great with child, uh, unless this registration has to take place. And so this registration makes them go to Bethlehem, and this actually fulfills a prophecy that was spoken in the Old Testament scriptures in the book of Micah, chapter 5. Listen to Micah 5, verses 2 through 5. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And so what that's saying is that even though Bethlehem is this kind of small, insignificant town, the, the Savior, the Son of David, the Messiah, is going to be born there. And so God is using this pagan ruler's evil desire to just get more wealth and power for himself to accomplish his purposes and fulfill his promises and prophecies of this Savior being born in Bethlehem. It's actually absolutely incredible the way that God does this. And so while they're in Bethlehem, the labor pains start, and Mary knows that it's time to give birth 
to Jesus. Uh, So the end was probably like a guest room in someone's house, and they're out of room in this guest room, and so Mary and Joseph take the only option that's available, uh, a stable with animals. This is where Jesus is born, in a stable with animals, and like any other baby, Mary wraps him up in swaddling cloths, signifying his real, true humanity, that he is fully human. And then she places him in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. And so this is Jesus' bed on the first night that he's in, he's in the world, coming into the earth. A feeding trough is where he spends his first night. And so obviously, what we see here is a humble birth. I mean, think of who Jesus is. The angel Gabriel has already told us that while Jesus is going to be born and step into our world here in Bethlehem, like he didn't get his existence when he came into the world here at Bethlehem. He has always existed. He is God, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the creator of everything. I mean, we saw in chapter 1, Elizabeth calls Jesus her Lord while Jesus is still in Mary's womb. And so I'm sorry to use another OU football illustration. I really try not to overdo it, but it just fits. And so a few weeks ago, after the last game of the season, OU's coach decided to just up and leave and take another job at USC. And so uh, he did that, and then they spent all week, all that next week, looking for a coach. And by Sunday of that next week, they had identified a coach, and so they hired Brent Venables. Brent Venables uh, had been at OU for about a decade uh, previous to that, and then he was uh, previously, he had been at Clemson for about 10 years. And so uh, that Sunday, they flew to Clemson to go pick him up and bring him back to Norman, where the University of Oklahoma is. And uh, his plane landed in Norman at 10.30 on a Sunday night. Uh, And when his plane landed, there were like three to 4,000 fans there. Uh, There were lights and fire and a red carpet. Uh, The school brought out the horses, Boomer and Sooner, and the wagon that they run out onto the field during the games. Uh, The school had hired a DJ to play music for all the fans that had been waiting there for hours because the plane had kept getting delayed. Uh, And when the plane finally did arrive and landed and he kind of walked out onto the red carpet, I mean, everybody just went absolutely nuts. Uh, And they were doing that for like an hour after until like midnight on Sunday night. It was just an absolute spectacle. And listen, all of that was for a football coach, like a, a guy who got hired to coach games that in the grand scheme of things really don't matter that much. And so... Hurtful. And so, like, if, if a football coach can get a welcome like that, surely we are expecting something much better than that for Jesus, right? Because this isn't just a man that we're dealing with here. Like, this is God in Bethlehem in this manger. That's who's coming into the world. God is stepping in. And so you would assume that when God steps into the world, that there would be a red carpet, that there would be lights and music and and thousands of adoring people. You would assume that we would roll out everything, that this would be a welcome fit for a king, but that's not what happens, is it? No, when God steps into the world, his welcome party is donkeys and animal poop in a dirty, smelly, dingy barn on the backwoods of the Roman Empire in a no-name place in the middle of nowhere. Like, there is nothing about Jesus' birth that says, this is important, this is the king, this is God. 
Because Jesus, he doesn't come in pomp and circumstance. He comes in humility, in lowliness, in poverty. Like, I don't know if when Jesus was a teenager, whether or not he shut the door when he left the house. Uh, But if he didn't, and someone said, Jesus, shut the door when you leave the house. Were you born in a barn or something? He could answer like, yeah, I actually was. Like, God was born in a barn. His first bed was a feeding trough for animals. It's humiliating. It's completely humbling. And, And this humble birth sets the pattern for a humble life. Jesus comes this way in humility because he's going to save us in humility. He's the king of the universe, more powerful than anyone or anything, but the way he accomplishes his victory is not through a military overthrow or through this great feat of strength, but through weakness, through coming to the earth as a frail baby and then growing up and being crucified on a cross, executed as a criminal of the state. Like This is the great truth that Philippians 2 tells us and why we're constantly quoting it up here. Philippians 2 Verses 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His humble birth points to his humble death to save us. He is wrapped in swaddling cloths at his birth, signifying that he's kind of giving up control and preventing him from flailing. And then Luke tells us at the end of his gospel that he's actually swaddled once again at his death. Joseph of Arimathea takes his body down from the cross and wraps it in cloths, signifying that once again he gave up control and he gave up his life to save us. But Jesus' humble birth is not the only thing we see in this text. We also see his humble glory. And so Luke tells us in verse 8 that in that same area, there were shepherds watching over their flock that night, uh, and an angel appears to them. And I like the way the King James translates it. It says, when the angel appeared, they were sore afraid. Like, they were really terrified. But look again at what the angel tells them in verses 10 and 11. It says, the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So what the angel just told these shepherds is massive. He said he's bringing gospel, good news that will fill everyone who accepts it with great joy. And what's the gospel? What's the good news of great joy that the angels are bringing? That there has been born for all the people, for us, this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, each of these three titles that the angel gives to Jesus is important. And so let's think about these one at a time. First, he says that Jesus is a Savior. Uh, Jesus is a Savior. He has come to deliver us and rescue us. And what the Gospel of Matthew tells us is that he has specifically come to deliver us from our sin. This is why he's given the name Jesus. Jesus means God saves. And so think about it like this. Imagine you've got this company that is tanking and is on the verge of bankruptcy, and so they hire a new CEO to kind of come in and shake things up uh, and turn things around. When they do that, they don't hire that CEO to come in and look at all of kind of the systems and processes and culture and everything that they've got laid out and say, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like what a mess this place is. You guys have an absolute train wreck dumpster fire on your hands. 
I hope you get some help with that, and then turn around without doing anything to fix it, right? Because they knew it was already a dumpster fire. They knew it was a train wreck. That's why they hired him or her not to condemn it and tell them what they already knew, but to save it and turn it around. This is what's going on here. We as humanity, we as humans, we had tanked the company. We had all fallen into sin and deserved condemnation. And Jesus rightly could have stayed up in heaven and said, you guys really need to figure it out. What a mess you have made of this place. But he didn't. Like the wonder of Christmas is that he came into the world. And when he came into the world, uh, he didn't come to say, oh my gosh, what a mess you idiots have made of this place. No, he didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. He came to rescue it. He came to deliver it, to be a savior. He came to be the new Adam, the new head of a human race who would relive our lives in perfection so that he could deliver us from our sins and the condemnation that we rightly deserve. And so Jesus is a savior. Second, he's the Christ. Now, now Christ is a title. It's not his last name. It's not like uh, his parents were Mary and Joseph Christ. Uh, Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, uh, which means anointed one. And, and what the Old Testament tells us is that the Christ, uh, the Messiah, will be a king from the line of David. He'll be a son of David. Uh, and, and the Messiah, the Christ, is the one that, the, that God's people have been waiting on since day one because God's promise was through this Messiah, he would reverse the curse, he would get rid of the brokenness and sin in the world, he would bring new creation, and he would bring blessing and salvation to all of the people. This is why we uh, sing at Christmas about Jesus being the desire of every nation and the hope of every longing heart, because he is. That's why the angel says that he's bringing good news of great joy that's for all the people, because anyone can get in on this, because Jesus is the Messiah. And so he's the Savior, he's the Christ, and then third, the angel says that he is the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, this is the name for God used in the Old Testament. And so uh, angel, the angel just told us as clearly as he could, like this baby that is being born is not just a baby. He's not just going to be a man. Uh, he's not just going to be a savior. He's not even just going to be the Messiah. He is the Lord. Like, he is God, the glorious God who created everything. And so he is this glorious God who has always existed, but the way he showcases his glory as God here is a humble way. It's a humble glory. Look again at what the angel says in verse 12. It says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so the place you find this great and glorious God is in a feeding trough in a dingy, smelly stable in the backwoods of the Roman Empire, uh, swaddled like any other baby would be, in a, in a really humble and ordinary place. There's angels proclaiming his glory at his birth, but the way we see his glory is veiled. You see, in the incarnation, Jesus doesn't lose or give up any of his glory. He veils it, uh, meaning... The invisible God made himself visible. The immortal God made it so that he could be touched. The God who dwells in unapproachable light uh, was able to be held and swaddled by Mary and Joseph. Like he lives his life as a full human being because he is truly human. 
He doesn't like radiate angelic light off of his face as he's walking around Jerusalem. This first night in the stable, in the feeding trough, he doesn't stand up in the feeding trough and lecture Mary and Joseph on the incarnation and the ins and outs of the hypostatic union. Now, you know what he does on this night? He cries. He, He probably keeps Mary and Joseph up all night because he's a baby. And because Jesus is displaying God's glory in this humble way as a fully human being, we can know what God is really like, and we can know that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us in every way. Because in Jesus, God has literally, literally, not just metaphorically, he has literally walked in our shoes. Jesus has experienced it. He knows what it's like, and so he can sympathize with us. Like, he was a teenager. He was a young adult. He knows what it's like to be single. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to face temptation. Uh, He knows what it's like to be betrayed by his best friends. At one point, his entire family thought he was insane. They thought he was crazy. He knows what it's like to be mocked. He knows what it's like to be shamed. He knows what it's like to be publicly humiliated. He knows what it's like to be poor, to have nowhere to lay his head, to be misunderstood, and to be rejected by those who should be receiving him. And so when you and I experience these things, we can go to him. You can talk to him. He understands. Jesus is displaying his glory in a humble way to show us that God is near to us. He's not far off from us. St. Augustine put it so beautifully. He said it like this. He said, man's maker was made man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might be hungry, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired from the journey, that the truth might be accused by false witnesses, the judge of the living and the dead be judged by a mortal judge, justice be sentenced by the unjust, the teacher be beaten with whips, the vine be crowned with thorns, the foundation be suspended on wood that strength might be made weak, that he who makes well might be wounded, that life might die. He was made man to suffer these and similar undeserved things for us, that he might free us who were undeserving. And so in Jesus, we have this great high priest who can sympathize with us and save us, who we can go to because he has first come to us. God has drawn near. And so we see his humble birth. We see Jesus' humble glory. And then finally in this text, we see the humble recipients of this good news of great joy that the birth of Jesus brings. Look again at verse 15 with me. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so the shepherds, they go to Bethlehem, they find Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, and they relay this message about Jesus that the angels have told them. And then verse 20 tells us that they returned to go back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and seen and what they had been told by the angel. And, and here's what's significant about this. The, the people who received this message of salvation and the good news of Jesus' birth are humble as well. 
because shepherds are extremely low on the totem pole of society during this time period. Like if lepers were the most marginalized and outcast people in the society, shepherds are coming in at a close second because they were continually richly unclean through their work with the animals and they were uh, just constantly dirty and smelly because of how much time they spent outside with the sheep. Uh, and they were just generally looked down upon in this society. They were kind of looked down as, as poor, uh, outcasted people. Uh, that's who these shepherds are. But yet it's to these seemingly unimportant people that the message of salvation, the good news of Jesus' birth, the Savior's birth, is brought to first. Like God doesn't first bring his message of salvation to the rich, uh, to the powerful, to the kings, to the rulers, to the most important, or even to the religious re leaders, uh, he brings it to these lowly shepherds, once again, who are in the middle of nowhere. And so look, I think this should really encourage you. If this is who God brings the message of salvation to first, uh, surely it should bring hope to you, and it should show you that what the angel said is true, that this good news of great joy is for all of the people including you. Like, listen, don't take yourself out of this and say, no, I, I'm too bad, I've done something too wrong, or I've just got this thing I'm struggling with, this really couldn't be for me. No, the good news of Christmas is that you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to qualify yourself. You don't have to work hard enough. You don't have to do enough religious things. You just have to be needy. That's the only qualification you need to get in on this good news of great joy. Like we just have to understand that we actually need this Savior who has been born. We have to admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior and then trust the Savior who has come. Like this is for all the people, good people, bad people, rich people, poor people, all the people, including you. This is for you. Like Christmas levels the playing field more than anything else because it tells us that all of us needed this that all of us needed God to come to earth as a frail baby, grow up and become a man and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins to save us. Like all of us are equally undeserving, but all of us are invited in this Christmas to experience the good news of great joy of Jesus. We're all invited in to know this Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is what the shepherds show us. But they aren't the only recipients of this message. Uh, Mary and Joseph and then all the people around them received this message from the shepherds as well. Uh, and it tells us that everyone who heard the shepherds' message wondered at the news. But in contrast, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, uh, pondering them in her heart. And so to wonder at this means to be wowed or amazed. And I think all of us kind of understand this, especially at this time of year. Uh, so think back to when you were growing up, and uh, it, was, it was a Christmas gift that you really, really wanted. Uh, you wanted it for like months. You knew it was going to be a life-changing thing if you got it. And then on Christmas morning, you got it. Like you got to open up that present. You had it. It was amazing. It was shiny. It was new. You knew this is what you needed to have uh, happiness in your life. This is the best thing ever, only to like a week or two later, not even be using that thing anymore like not even be playing with that toy anymore. Like it was amazing in the moment. You were wowed about it in the moment, but then the moment just kind of passed and, and you passed it by as well. Like you experienced that amazement in the moment, but then uh, life just continued to go on. That's what happens when everybody wonders at this message, but that's not what Mary does. 
Mary treasures these things and ponders them in her heart. Uh, when it, the word that's used for ponder here means to think it out, to, to make connections, to think through the implications, to put it in context, to think about the significance of these things. Uh, and, and treasuring it up in her heart means she doesn't let this go. She doesn't just let it pass her by as one moment, just like every other moment in her life. No, she lets it affect her. She presses it down into her heart until it lights up her heart with joy. It's like the difference between hearing me tell you that Bojangles is amazing and actually tasting and experiencing that for yourself. Like, it's pressing it down. Mary presses it down into her heart until this knowledge becomes experientially real to her. And it's in this response of Mary, uh, treasuring and pondering, that I think we actually get the response of how we're supposed to respond to the good news of Christmas as well. We're called to ponder, to think through the significance of the gospel and its implications for every aspect of our lives, to think, to put it in context, to think through all these things. This means to do things, to think like, okay, if I am justified, if I am counted righteous before God by faith alone in Jesus because of his grace, if he is my identity and he is my approval and he is my acceptance before God, like what would change in my life if I really believed that? Well, man, I would stop looking for my approval and acceptance and identity in other people. Like, I would stop living for their approval and identity. I wouldn't be so sold out to the fear of man and the approval of man. I'd be free to love people and stop using them to try to get an identity for myself. Or uh, if Jesus is truly the light of the world who brings hope and peace in the midst of the darkness and brokenness that we still experience, and, and I'm suffering, and, and things are dark right now, like, what would it mean for my life if I actually believed that good news, that, that Jesus is the light who has come to overcome the darkness? Like, what would it look like if I truly believed this? And, and so we ponder these things, we think it through, and then we treasure them up in our hearts. We press it into our hearts, and we meditate on it, and we ask God, God, please make me believe this in my heart and not just my head. Like, please may, free me up to find my identity and my value and my worth in your acceptance and approval of me instead of other people's acceptance and approval of me. Like, pre, please free me up to delight in your delight in me. Or if you're suffering, God, please make me believe that you are enough even if my circumstances don't get better. Please make me believe that even if I can't see it right now, your light has broken in and you have overcome the world. Please help me to cling to you uh, even in the darkness. And so we pray about it. We meditate on it. And you just keep pressing it into your heart until it becomes real, until it becomes more real than the struggle or the doubts or the lies that you're facing. This is what Mary is doing when she ponders and treasures these things up in her heart. And, and so here's what I want to challenge you with. Look, the reason we sin is always at root a failure to believe the gospel in our hearts. Like there are other reasons and, and things that we could point to as to why we sin, but at its root, every sin is, we sin because we fail to believe that Jesus really can satisfy us, that Jesus really is worth it, that he really is better, that he really will keep us secure and give us what we need. Like we, we don't actually believe he's better when we sin. But look, this good news of great joy is absolutely available to you. And look, I know how busy all of us are, not just at Christmas, but especially during the Christmas season. But the more you'll do this, the more you will take time to ponder these things and treasure it up 
in your heart, to think about the good news of the gospel and the implications for your life, to meditate on it, to pray about it, to ask God to make it real in your heart, the more you'll get in the scriptures and think deeply about God and yourself and his word. And the the more God will change you to be a person who's marked by this sort of just deep and unshakable joy in Jesus. The more you will be a person uh, who's that, that has Jesus' grace and love as the most moving and foundational reality in your heart. And, and the more you'll be a person who's marked by this sort of just deep trust and faith in God. Like, this is what Jesus came for, so that we might know, love, and trust our Creator once again. And the good news of great joy in Jesus is here. Peace with God is available. Hope has broken in to the world. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God is offered to us because unto us this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. Let's be these humble recipients who receive the good news of the gospel and don't just let it pass us by like one moment, like every other moment in our lives. Let's ponder these things. Let's treasure them up in our hearts so that we might be a people marked by this good news of great joy as well. Let me pray that we would. Jesus, uh, I pray you would do just this in us. God, I know so many of us are tired, stressed out, or distracted thinking about the next thing we've got to do, what we've got to get ready for Christmas, um, family that will be coming in, or family that we'll be going to see, all of these different things. But God, in the midst of all of this hustle uh, and busyness of this season, would you give us time to do this, to just ponder the good news of the gospel, to treasure it in our hearts, to think through these things. And God, as we do that, as we think through the significance of all of these things and and the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus into our world, God, would you make it real to our hearts? Would you make it not just something that we can agree to and know in our heads, would you make it something that deeply moves us in our hearts. Would you make your love and grace be the most foundational reality in our hearts? God, we can't do that. We can make all the efforts to ponder and to treasure, but we can't make this real in our heart. We can't stir up faith in ourselves. We can't stir up love in ourselves. And so would you do it? God, this this Christmas season, would you just help us to be freshly amazed at the good news of Jesus, that you drew near that you haven't left us in heaven, that you haven't stayed far off, that you have come, that you've come to rescue and to be a savior. Jesus, that you are Christ the Lord. Please make it real to us more and more. I pray that you would give us these times during this season and, and help us to respond in that way even now. In your name, amen.